0: Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey
1: welcome to dropping in everyone good morning on this last day of july today we're glad to have you with us for our guest dr sam stia who will talk about the intersection of medicine and climate change in a crucial moment of our time congratulations on writing this book the edge of elsewhere dr stia it's published by books fluent and um, there's a lot to talk about so Thanks for being with us.
2: And thank you for having me.
1: Lovely to be with you. Um, You are in this book, taking us on a swift and fun and really interesting adventure at the same time, making some serious statements. Speaking of the earth's deterioration, um, you, you have said, a house on fire cannot stand. Ladies, gentlemen, and young people everywhere, our house is on fire. Uh, This is a crucial moment, a kind of a tipping point in our culture, would you say, in terms of climate change?
2: Um, We are uh, absolutely at a critical moment in human history, and um, my responsibility as a physician, considering that it's a global health catastrophe that looms, my responsibility is to Use my influence, my identity as a physician, to um, spread the message. To spread that message, and uh, to affect as many people as possible.
1: Right. You took the, the Hippocratic oath, and you know your your first do, do no harm, but also just the sense of your purpose and mission in life is to help people. I'm just so glad that you've brought this intersection of the two, uh, that when we're experiencing uh, drought, famine, mass migration, and epidemics, we're talking about climate change, direct results of climate change. So it's just very refreshing for me, and I think for our listeners, to hear from an established and very uh, esteemed position about the very real truth of climate change, as science, so um, uh, you, you, um, you, I think you've brought your voice into the your voice voice to the table at the really right moment. How does it feel? Well, I
2: think, uh, I, I think I'm even a little bit late. I think the entire medical establishment, particularly the American medical establishment, we're not on time. We are late. We are decades late. Um, this idea of climate change. And health goes back decades. I would say to the 70s and 80s. Um, I think th- this is my opinion, but and and I I am not in the majority of my opinion. But healthcare professionals, particularly doctors, are a lapse, and I would say even negligent in promoting the idea that climate change is real science, and I believe it absolutely is real science, and it's as real as the science I use to treat people. It's real science, and we need to change the trajectory of where we're heading. Doctors are negligent. I see it every day with my own practice, in, my, in the hospital, with my peers, and I even encounter it in my discussions With medical organizations, Um, they don't seem to... They recognize it as a problem, but but they seem to right away turn it off as their problem. Uh, I, I think they look at it almost as a political problem or a public relations problem. But, again, doctors, you mentioned it from the hypocritic oath, Doctors are to do no harm, first. But in this particular case, silence and the way doctors are acting is harming people.
1: It's enough and, to get uh, silence. Uh, and it really, threatens and
2: it and it threatens human health on a global scale.
1: And what percentage? Let's just try to quantify it, when you, you know, in your, you, you have a microcosm, clearly there's a lot of denial in the public eye at large, including politicians, including people that could make a significant difference, as I believe doctors could, um, you know, in terms of awareness. What's the percentage of, say, people who have woken up to these connections versus now,
2: um, Yeah, I understand See, I work in more or less a rural hospital setting, so um, I I can't speak from an urban hospital setting. I've worked in central Pennsylvania for 25 years, but I could say it's 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 a very tiny minority of doctors that I I would say a, a fairly good percentage of doctors thinks climate, think that climate science is real, uh, probably 50% or maybe more. The problem is that uh, the vast majority of physicians don't consider it a health issue and don't consider their input as essential or even required. And that is the problem. Doctors have sidelined this issue and have um, let it fester as someone else's issue, politicians, perhaps environmentalists, and and have left environmental scientists alone, but doctors can serve as an essential bridge between the climate science and the, the public in general, Because we garner, we still garner that trust in the in the public's mind's eye. Absolutely, and they would listen. And they and and I think and I think the public would listen to us um, more so than climate scientists or the politicians. But we haven't t- filled that role but we haven't filled that role for some reason and i don't quite understand that
1: well the good news is you've written this book that's going to be an eye opener to a certain part of the population that reads it it's an excellent um, trajectory about you know these three young people Abby Paul and Max who time travel back interestingly enough you mentioned the 70s and 80s they travel back to the 1970s um, through yeah. their through the lens of with our previous existence which was began the book begins in 2079 so they basically live in a pile of ash which occurs from the great fires which will occur from the climate change that continues as we speak um, if left unmitigated and you know we're already experiencing fires we're, we're already your book is prophetic but almost... Here, and and that's why it, to me it was so resonant um, reading it. Um, I I just want to say though, you know, maybe even the medical community look climate change. It's it's a bigger than life. It's a really huge issue. It is going to take all the components to bear witness to it and to join in. It's like you know how do you eat an elephant? It's still one bite at a time. Sorry, that's a terrible metaphor, and I wouldn't. Um, And, you know, it's an endangered species, but, and there you go. It's animals. So to review, you are a physician, you are a nephrologist, which is the study of kidneys, um, which is a purifier. I found that sort of metaphor very interesting. To review, COVID-19, the pandemic that we currently experience ourselves in, it is derived from animal life that has lost its habitat, to industrialization, sort of in short, right? Is that the way you perceive it?
2: Uh, yes, it is. We need to have a change of heart in the public's opinion uh, about this. We need—we almost need to have a Pearl Harbor moment, where mm-hmm. the danger can be. Uh, Seen for what it is. Unfortunately, with climate change, things move very slowly. So that Pearl Harbor moment may not come. And that's the true danger of this. Physicians Mm -hmm. need to take a stand right now. And one physician or 10 or 20 in a community is not enough. Physicians need to bring in the big organizations, the American Medical uh, Association, and in uh, uh, journals to lobby in Washington, to lobby congressmen and senators. It, the time is now. We've left this too long in, with, uh, with politicians and with, uh, with big corporations in America. And believe me, they do plenty of lobbying in, in Washington. Sure. Uh, but. Uh, the doctors need to take a stand the doctors can be the tipping point to the public's perception of this and and it could impact the political landscape that could really make the difference here and, and that's what I'm trying to get across and I'm trying to do the best I can as an individual doctor I am powerless and especially in my case, because I'm the only nephrologist in, in, in my particular area, so it's hard for me to get away. Um, as you can see, I'm being called during this, <laughs> during this podcast.
1: But, Don't let anyone die while we're on. That's not necessary. No, 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 Please. no, no. I, I have okay. uh, responsible okay.
2: people on it. Um,
1: but, okay, good,
2: But um, w- what can I do? Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've uh, brought this issue locally. Um, it's it's more or less been um, considered, but it's not taking root. I've written well, you've
1: the book. Got, you've written the book. I was just going to say, you have gained yeah. a voice uh, by uh, writing the book. And what I would say is, you're absolutely right. And doctors right now are at the pinnacle of our awareness as healthcare workers are the ones that are saving lives in COVID-19. And we're all... In that rally cry of appreciating healthcare workers and gaining um, a sense of their value more than ever, so if there was a time when you you know had our ear, it would be now when we're thinking and you know we seeing ICUs across the country and the world.
2: Oh sure, uh, COVID nineteen is I look at it as an opportunity. It is COVID nineteen the pandemic is global. It involves health care. It involves the vast resources of health care. It involves politics. It is climate change. Uh, It is a dress rehearsal for the climate change uh, disasters that are approaching. Mm -hmm. Doctors are on the front line now, and doctors will be on the front line when the... uh, when the worst of climate change happens, and we 're not talking about generations away we 're talking about decades away. The characters what... in the book the the characters in the book deal with the uh, effects of uh, climate change in only sixty or seventy years from now. I do believe that if this issue isn't addressed in the next decade or two, we are facing uh, perhaps a world that will be unrecognizable in, in 50 or in in 60 or 70 years. Um, I used a bit of hyper, I used a bit of hyperbole in the book uh, regarding uh, the uh, uh, cutting edge of climate change um, and its effects on on the world and on weather and on uh, the North American continent to drive my point across, but. Okay. Um,
1: Yeah, it didn't seem like an exaggeration to me. I felt as though it was very well grounded and that you are really talking about something that has a great sense of urgency. Thanks for this wonderful book. You know, it sort of reminds me of A Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down, because inside this story, this wonderful story, and we're going to talk to you after we come back from the break about... Writing these characters, these wonderful children whom, with whom I fell in love and also empathized with um, in their consternation over why didn't our generation do anything to prevent the earth from burning up. Um, and, I, and I also. And, uh, yes. and that
2: is the great question of the book. How yes. we will be received by history, by future generations. That, well. is, that is a big question of the book. In the book, I. I use the term sleepwalkers. Yes. That our, our children's children are going to look at us as sleepwalkers, just yes. people who are uh, purposefully ignorant and purposefully denying um, truth for what gains or what benefit is, is, is the big question, you know, and, and I try to address that in the book.
1: You did very well. And here's the quote from Abby. Maybe an epidemic of sleepwalking disease or blindness or plain old stupidity struck the world. Anyway, I'm going to find out for myself. I'm going to see for myself what happened. The real truth. That's what's important. Science and truth. That's after she's asked her mother, why would people let the world burn up and let everything die? So when we come back, we're going to take up the subject with Dr. Sam Stia, who's written a marvelous book, The Edge of Elsewhere. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS communications company. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com That's the letter D Dewey at trunordmedia.com Now, back to Dropping In.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Dr. Sam Stia, who is in real time himself and dealing with actual medical situations and patients in his practice in central Pennsylvania. Thank you again, Dr. Stia, for being with us. And even during the commercial break, you were hands-on dealing with the situation to which we say kudos because of course, um, our health and lives are in your hands. That's why we're so glad that you've written this book, The Edge of Elsewhere, and you bring us to the awareness that medicine has to step up to the plate and deal in, take it, accountability, sorry, responsibility for its role in making people aware of climate change and the disastrous effects that we face how have your patients um, influenced you 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 say on your website that you know, the, the day-to-day struggles of my patients have given me a sense of priorities and keep an understanding of what's truly precious and enduring what needs to be passed on is this the inspiration for writing your book the edge of elsewhere
2: um. Nephrology is a kidney medicine. Specifically, it's, it's dialysis. And uh, I take care of patients, not for weeks or months, but for many years, and in a lot of cases, decades. I see patients grow old. I see them become sick. I see them die. I see them uh, do anything to reverse what's happening to them, and, and I see their desperation. That is, it has truly impacted um, the story uh, because the people in the story are desperate and, and they are searching for the, the most precious things in life, which is hope and a hope for a better future. I've learned that from patients. I've seen it so many times, um, and uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm right in the middle of it. And often I tell patients that no matter what we do, you're you're not going to live. And um, I do see kind of a a, a light switch off, and um, and uh, with the characters in my book, I I. Th- their light switch is still on, no yes. matter what they go through, uh, they have that hope and and that that is in Abby, even when she seems that things aren 't going to work, she still has that hope in her heart mm-hmm. and uh, I want people to People who read the book, I want them to think that way. And I, not necessarily about themselves, but their children's children. I want them to think about the world that they're leaving behind for them. So they more or less have to think in terms of the time dimension, which is how the story uh, unfolds. But we must come to, we must come to an awareness about our future generations and, and what we are leaving to them and to not take away their hope. And taking away nature is what we are talking about. And if nature is depleted, that hope of a better future for them, is going to be depleted as well.
1: Well, I think that was so well put. Um, And I do think that the children, you know, you dedicate the book to Greta Thunberg and also to Sophie Scholl. And these were two, these are two young women. Sophie Scholl perished at the hands of the Nazis while trying to um, save lives. And Greta Thunberg is likewise trying to save our life, uh, save our collective lives. Um, you know, it seems to me that you're pointing to the next generation, almost saying it seems to be, you know, we're doing this, whatever we can do, we've got to do it for them. And that they are also carrying the torch in a big way and capable of carrying the torch in history-changing ways. When you say nature and hope, this reminds me so much of um, the notion that, you know, we've been with nature as a species for hundreds of millions of years. We've been with the industrial age for about, you know, two or three centuries. So at a, a sort of a, like molecular level, we are very connected to nature and it's part of our identity as humans. Um, and well... I, I think that you see that erosion of hope. At least I feel it. Of that tiny heartbreak each time you hear a species is going extinct. You know, the ice caps are melting. The fires are worse. There's a direct corollary there, right?
2: Um, we we have lived in balance with nature right up until the industrial revolution. We are living in aberration we are consuming nature at an incredible rate. We are heading for self-destruction. We must find that balance with nature again, otherwise we're doomed as a species. I I believe I put that in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is achievable. It's hard work. It means that fossil fuel companies have to give way to alternative energies It means that the public must take care of nature, Um, be outraged at what's going on. Mm -hmm. It means that we have to listen to the young people that are starting to realize what's going on. And and they were out last year in in masses uh, when uh, I think Greta Thunberg... uh, Thurnberg uh led a um a popular um uh, movement young people out on the streets that needs to happen, but we the baby boomers, the people that have uh used so much of nature in a negative way, we need to come to that realization as well mm-hmm. the
1: the it's gone astray
2: the, there is there is a new enlightenment that's needed. Um, and that Enlightenment, there was an Enlightenment centuries ago, but that was how people are to arrange themselves in governments in societies, and societies uh, and in politics. That, that was a great Enlightenment of the 16th and 17th century. But a new Enlightenment is needed. Not people with people, but people and nature. And that Enlightenment means to find a balance of sustainability for both without that balance um, bad things are coming and it's not just our generation or the next um, it's not it's, I'm sorry it's not in the many generations ahead but it's in our generation and the next one our children basically and uh, right. that, that was a major that was a major point in the book as well
1: and we need to deliver a glancing blow to those in power currently who are climate change deniers um so clearly there is some direct action that needs to happen at the voting polls in the very near future in november um i'm just going to call that out as part of the, the rebalancing because we're not going to get anywhere if we don't have leadership that's on board
2: right? the status the status quo is not working uh, th- this uh, this denial is not the way to proceed and i and i think america is in big danger of losing their credibility as a world leader based on science and based on um uh based on um uh tomorrow what tomorrow would look like we, I think, we won the Cold War basically because other people in other countries, particularly the, uh, you know, the the Soviet bloc com- countries in Europe, I, I think they wanted to be us. Yeah. You know, they saw Hollywood. They saw how we acted. They saw the things that we did and the cars that we drove, and they said, "Enough of the system. I want to be like." Uh, America. You remember in uh, China during the T- Tiananmen Square incident? They, I think, I remember this. They built a Statue of Liberty, a little image, a little model of the Statue of Liberty. I mean, it was it was big. It was about the size of the car. But they were telling the people in power, "We've had enough of this. We want to be like America." We were I think anyway. we've kind of. I, I I think we've kind of lost that, and, and it's because our vision of the future is it, it, it's not in accord with um, science or no. a, a, a prosperity for the long run. And, and, and I hope, and, and I hope, in the next election. And it may be too late uh, for me to make a difference in this. I mean, the books, um, you know, I was hoping to impact people to maybe impact uh, politics, but I could only hope that. But I'm hoping that medicine can as a whole can do what I, what I can't as an individual.
1: Well, you've started something and we're going to we're going to jump on board with you and keep the momentum going. Um, I would urge people to read the book, The Edge of Elsewhere. And we're speaking today with Sam Stia. He's a practicing physician, proud husband, father and wonderful father of a wonderful son and daughter. Um, I have to think that that influenced your uh, motivations too, Sam. Some time ago, uh, reading now from your biography, some time ago, Stia took a simple and deliberate step back from the complexities of life to see himself in a much bigger picture within the context of a past and future, within the balance of the human species with nature and with what is truly lasting beyond one's own years. His great hope is that others in healthcare, physicians, nurses, therapists of all kinds, scientists and administrators, and young people everywhere will join him in the fight to better inform the public that climate change is the greatest imminent health challenge humanity has yet to face. And yet, without these critical resources, uh, Sam, you know, if the medical community it seems to me if they were more on board and said yes, we're we're now fighting for our lives, and as you say, America has lost its sheen. You only have to look at our COVID numbers to understand that we don't have things under control. While other countries in Europe have seen shrinking COVID in- incidences, so yeah, we're not the country that's being looked up to anymore. But what I, I you know, what I want to ask is in this country, as you understand the way it works if the medical community were on board, would more resources be brought to bear in this fight? Uh,
2: uh, look at the notoriety that Dr. Fauci has, um, and he's, he's, uh, he's basically a, a celebrity now in weighing in favor of science and logic. And, and I think people are listening if it wasn't for him, less people would be listening, would be in a uh, worse uh, situation as far as COVID is concerned. I think uh, medicine in big organizations need to be more vocal and lobby the government and Washington directly about climate change, much in the way that uh, the CDC and the NIH is trying to do now with individuals like Dr. Fauci, um, uh, like they're trying to do with COVID. I think medicine needs to be more vocal and, and, and much more in the news than just uh, being in these, um, uh, then uh, doctors and medical organizations have a tendency to put out alerts and memos and papers. We need much more than that now. Um, We need individuals, we need people, we need people that can speak for doctors as a whole to be out there in the news talking with politicians, talking with the people in power. We can't, we can't be in the sidelines anymore.
1: No. And Dr. Fauci, um, I'm happy to report, has higher ratings, approval ratings, than the current sitting president. So I think that the other thing people, it's dawning on us is this is not an isolated case, COVID-19. This is something that will recur. And the role of medicine and figures like Dr. Fauci will continue to be imminent and extremely important to all of us and will act as a kind of leadership. Similarly, CEOs of companies that, you know, like Tim Cook at Apple who says, you know, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. That's not that far off. You know, carbon neutral, that's a really important goal for a lot of, um, you know, that's the direction that that industry has to take. And your thoughts on that?
2: In order to be com- uh, carbon neutral by the end of this decade, which we must be to have any impact on the trajectory we're on, boy, we need a, a mobilization of society, of, of government, of, uh, of the government's resources, almost to the degree, I would say probably to the degree of the, of the uh, efforts during the Cold War, to win the Cold War, what we had to do to... Uh, or even World War II. I mean, this is, this is a, um, a societal um, shift a a tectonic shift in in society on all levels from government to the public to um, businesses to the free market and again doctors can lead the way we still have that we still garner the trust of the public to serve as the catalyst for this and that's what I want to that's my greatest message that that's my biggest message that doctors and healthcare professionals need to start waking up people.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I applaud and just honestly commend you. Um, I think Sam, we are going to, we're headed for another commercial break, but you've left us with so much to think about. And I, especially love the word serve because I think that is what we do, the medical community does, and they can provide leadership in a vacuum that otherwise exists. When we come back from the break, we're going we're to lighten it up a little bit. We're going to try to ask the question and answer the question, how does a quiet nephrologist from central Pennsylvania come out and write a book? as grand and almost classic as the edge of elsewhere and what motivated you don't go away we'll be right back on dropping in voice america is on your favorite smart speaker if you have alexa or google home go ahead and give us a try hey alexa Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She
0: Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Planning for college? channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voice america.com you are listening to dropping in with diane dewey we'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show send us an email to d at true that's the letter d Dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Dr. Sam Stia, an opologist from central Pennsylvania, but moreover, a, a voice that is going to be heard again and again. I think in the awakening of the medical community as it works with climate change uh, experts to help stave off the imminent health crisis that is in front of us. Thank you very much for joining us today Dr. stia and honestly I think that you know you have from your website and from your words expressed this great hope that healthcare physicians nurses and therapists scientists and administrators and of course the um you know the technological and industrial community will join in this fight uh, to better inform the public that climate change is the greatest imminent health challenge humanity has yet to face. It's literally a question of our survival. Your book, The Edge of Elsewhere, I, I couldn't help but read, um, I, I ducked into the acknowledgements and was just so fascinated by your influences and what motivated you. You talk about um, a, a thinker, um, 19th century thinker, uh, Dr. Edwin Schrodinger, who was a Nobel Prize winner. He's a theorist and his book is called What is Life, um, so that's a pretty broad subject. Um, and- He says that as we become conscious and aware, that that actually, it's not an individual journey. It actually puts us more deeply in touch with one another um, and the universal truths. Um, Is this kind of subtext for way back for writing this book?
2: To to write this book, I I incorporated uh, a lot of, A lot of things. Um, What's interesting is my greatest influence is probably XM radio and driving back and forth to dialysis clinics, hemodialysis clinics, that's where people get dialysis. I spend a lot of time on the road. I listen to the music of the 60s and 70s and it brings me back to a time um, that I loved. Um, There was so much nature and hope and excitement, it was in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, that was an inspiration. Also, I, um, art was an inspiration. I can imagine children in the future looking at pictures and paintings and advertisements, uh, seeing a beautiful, colorful world, and I and I can imagine the sense of uh, loss or, or almost anger. So uh, I tried to incorporate that in, into the book famous pieces of art and um, from the 19th and 20th century.
1: Well, Van Gogh is there and Abby herself is making a collage of color because color no longer exists in her so she's,
2: world. So she's using the color that she's finding in uh, in magazines that she's picking up um, uh, almost t- uh, tossed away as garbage. So, um, I also use science and scientists and, uh, uh, Albert Einstein, uh, Schrodinger. Uh, there's a there's a there's a big debate, and it's in the book between certainty and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, going back in history, in recent history, and in uh, science of the 19th and 20th century, there was a big debate between rel- uh, the uh, uh, philosophy of relativity that things are certain and um, and cannot be altered and uh, Einstein was more or less in that camp uh, versus uncertainty that uh, we cannot predict things uh, that uh, disorder and chaos are integral in the, in the world and in the universe and that camp was led by schrodinger and uh, uh, Niels Bohr, so I brought that debate into the book, and of course, uh, relativity is how the the kids actually um, time travel, um, but the debate of certainty versus uncertainty uh, also translates into our perspective of climate change and the future i mean do and i 've heard uh, People say and politicians say, well, climate change is here and we're just going to have to live with it full steam ahead. That's the certainty of doom. Uncertainty is the young people trying to impact the world and uh, and um, bring about change. And if it means throwing off the shackles of uh, of the uh, fossil fuel industry and, and, and political minds that are unyielding, so be it. Let us create uncertainty so that we may impact the future. That conflict exists today, and it's in the book. And, uh, and uh, it's in the book through um, one, one of the, mem- one of the uh, uh, kids in the books, Paul, he spent his whole life as a recluse. He has asthma. He's afraid to go outside. But he brings this into the book. And also, uh, later on in the book, um, when the uh, kids realize the forces they're dealing with, um, they the debate is brought forth again by the people that try to stop them from doing what they need to do. So. Mm-hmm.
1: And they enlist the support of a an alternate universe John Lennon, which is fascinating. I mean, if you want to read something that's multi-layered and, as you say, lots of influences from pop culture and the art world and you know the theoretical world, this is the book, *The Edge of Elsewhere*. I thought Paul was a fascinating character because because of his debilitating asthma, he of course spent his time in his room becoming intellectually. Uh, gra- grounded in many theories and exploring the world of the mind. Um, I thought he was well, a, he was fascinating yes, that way. And the relativity it's so interesting to me there seems to be some contradictional most most good things do have contradictions. Einstein's relativity, this is quoting you now, uh, predicts that the fabric of time space or space time can be torn at those overlapping points, creating a temporary injure dimensional portal. These portals are called wormholes. And that's what the children took to go back to the 1970s. It's interesting to me that, you know, Niels Bohr represents uncertainty and Einstein with all the relativity represents certainty. It's a fascinating dichotomy to me, one that you bring up. And I love that people like Greta Thunberg are pushing us to our level of discomfort and pushing us towards the uncertainty we need to face these issues.
2: Yeah. Uh, Einstein never accepted, uh, quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is uncertainty inherent in the universe. He never quite accepted it. And, and again, I use that in the book and, and I, and I drew, uh, um, parallels with mindsets today, certainty versus uncertainty. Um, and, uh, it's interesting that uh, each character in the book brings a specific, um, um, I would say, um, talent or uh, aspect. For example, uh, Abby brings in the art world and literature. That's how she seeks hope in the alt- in the future by turning to books by exploring the uh, ruins of Princeton University searching for things. She finds color. She finds books. That is her medium to hope. Paul, very sickly, asthma, can't go outside because of the dust. He finds hope, and it's and it's mentioned in the book, he finds hope through his thinking and, and using his mind. He refers to to everyone else as the uneducated. In other words, he's seeking enlightenment through uh, the books that are available to him. Max is a, a very interesting character. He's kind of the bridge between the two, their neighborhood, uh, Abby's, Abby's neighborhood friend. He brings the tangible things, and he brings hope basically because he sees the world the, the, the world of 2079 is just a place that he has to live, that he has to exist, that he's making the best of things. His hope is primarily through his growing relationship with Abby. They're both 14 years old. And uh, Abby is his hope, and their relationship is his hope. So, mm-hmm.
1: She depends it, on him it, as well for emotional yeah. support. Yes. It, it, all, it,
2: all, it all swirls together, and it really comes to a head. It, it, it's all unified toward the end of the book.
1: I we bring in John Lennon. Alert. Yes.
2: Oh, oh okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to uh, spoil things. John Lennon and what he did in New York in the early 70s is the hope coming in from the past, what we were like back then in the Vietnam era. We this were full of hope.
1: Era.
2: Yes, the Imagine era. Um, we were full of hope. Young people had the drive and the energy to see what was happening, and they went out in droves trying to change things, and they changed things. They, they, they changed the world. We've lost that. and And I made that quite clear in the book that that we ourselves i'm i'm fifty seven years old I was a kid back then, but uh, a lot of the people now that are so hung up on status quo keeping things as is business as usual that's the American way were the same people that probably wanted to be a big part of the change in the late sixties and early seventies and and saw themselves differently back then. So, something's lost. Something's different. Absolutely. I want people to, I, and I, yes. I want people to read the book and perhaps take a good look at themselves, who they are, who they become, what their values have become. Think again. Because Think we can still be those people. We can still be those people that we were.
1: Exactly. I'm speaking now, because, to,
2: the, I'm speaking now to the baby boomers out there.
1: Yes, and as one, I mean, that was me. I was protesting. And the big question is the arc of how hippies and revolutionary thinking uh, kids that we were became baby boomers, consumptive, um, and altogether sleepwalking. That's a real arc. And I think you have helped us um, regain some of ourselves, go back to the garden, We've got to get back to the garden, literally and figuratively. And you've brought us these three wise men, sort of um, symbolic children, three children on a journey um, through the book, The Edge of Elsewhere. I'm going to um, give our listeners, now that we have a minute to the close, Sam Stia, his links um, www.reimagine2079.com. You can find the book and pre order it there. It comes through Books Fluent. And um, as you say, Sam, um, something is starting, someone is knocking, somewhere is calling. And I think as we find ourselves in this time of COVID, where even Freud could say one day in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Let's hope that's true through doing the tough work and making the necessary choices to change our course. Sam, stay out. Thank you very much for joining us on Dropping In. Thank you for your marvelous book, The Edge of Elsewhere. You've given us the right stuff at the right time, and we'd love to hear from you again. To our listeners, okay. thank, you, thank you for tuning in. And be safe and stay connected, everyone. Yes, Sam.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Diane. And uh, and thank. Uh, I want to thank the audience for listening.
1: Good. Yes. Thanks for dropping in, everyone. Till next week. Thank you
0: so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.